Thank you to Doosan for joining us to celebrate their upcoming 25th anniversary over in Austin, Texas. If you're down in Austin, Texas, go check them out. Follow us on all of our social medias. That's Better on Draft on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now TikTok. You can go to our website, betterondraft.com, and you can watch us live 7 p.m. Eastern at betterondraft.tv, facebook.com forward slash betterondraft, and twitch.tv forward slash podcast. We want to thank our sponsors, including this month's sponsor, World Expo of Beer. Folks, it is back in Frankenmuth. We want you to go check it out. Come visit us as we'll be there. Zatuna Liquor over in Rochester Hills, just south of M59 on Rochester Road, and North Center Brewing over in Northville, Michigan, just south of Baseline Road in Northville. We appreciate you all listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, watch us on our video, youtube.com forward slash better on draft. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's better on draft. Welcome, everybody, to episode 283 of the Better on Draft podcast. My name is Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. If you're listening via the podcast, you can join us live 7 p.m. Eastern over at facebook.com forward slash Better on Draft. And if you want to see everyone that we're interviewing in the future, just go to betterondraft.com forward slash events and see all of our upcoming podcasts. With that in mind, let's go over and see what everyone is drinking, starting with Wendy. Wendy, what do you got over there? I am drinking a Hefeweizen from Live Oak Brewing. All right. And Dan, what about you? I'm, you know, double fisting because it's 88 degrees and four in the afternoon. So why not? Um, (laughs) I've got a Bamberger. I think I'm saying that correctly from Live Oak. And then I've got the smoked black lager as well. All right. And for me, this may be the last week. We all cross our fingers and hope, but I've got a Hoppy Amber from Brooklyn Brewing, probably one of my favorite uh, NA beers I've ever had. And I also found uh, brand new to the state, at least, Wits Peak, which is a NA Wit beer. Uh, and I also got a Guinness Double O uh, that I will be joining or drinking here soon. Uh, with that in mind, obviously, if you couldn't tell who our guest was going to be, uh, with Wendy and Dan both drinking a beer from texas uh why don't you introduce yourself tell us who you are uh where you work and uh, what you do over there uh my name is dusan i work at live oak brewing company in austin texas and uh i'm the production manager head brewer uh, and i've been there for a little while been there for um, in my 15th year uh here there here um, and I'm drinking some Schwarzer Rauch. Awesome. Now, uh, we, we know that you joined Live Oak back in 2008. Uh, prior to that, what were you doing? Were you a home brewer? Were you brewing at another facility? Um, kind of give us a little bit of a history pre-Live Oak. Uh, brewing pre-Live Oak, I started making beer with my friends in college and mostly made ales and uh, English style beers. Um, I didn't really even make lager beer when I was home brewing. Um, I did that for probably three or four years and kind of tailed off a little bit and was, and I was finishing school at UT and, uh, was kind of starting to get back into it. And then I was kind of also looking for maybe getting a job in a brewery and learning a little bit more than I knew at the time and uh, I went and bothered uh, Brian Peters to his brewing over at Uncle Billy's uh, at the time. And he gave me uh, a contact. Uh, it was a guy making root beer next to old live Oak. And then he gave me Steve's uh, information. And so Steve Anderson uh, hired me yeah, in 2008 and, I hadn't really, I mean, I've, I've started recently, uh, home brewing with, uh, my friend Hap, uh, over the last like year and a half maybe. But since I started working at Live Oak, I had not made beer at home. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, 
um, we just brought Nick in. Nick, what are you, what are you drinking over there? Can you guys hear me? Uh, barely. You sound like you're in a vestibule. How about now? Church reference? Yeah, there we go. You You know, I don't know where my headphones disappeared to, so I'm using my work ones here. Um, Yeah, I'm great. Awesome. Sorry, I'm a little discombobulated. (laughs) What am I drinking tonight? I am drinking a live oak pills. Some pills. And... This can with an H on it. <laughs> mystery beer. All right. The mystery that's beer. The, the Hefeweizen. That's the Hefeweizen from Live Oak. Yep. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so back to you, Dusan. Um, I, I kind of want to ask because a lot of people, when they move from home brewing to production brewing, what was one of the biggest things that kind of um, shocked you or opened your eyes, like the differences of home brewing for someone that maybe is looking to open up a brewery themselves, but um, you know, the, the big scary brew system uh, might turn them away. Um, scary is kind of a good word. I mean, it's dangerous. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more things that can hurt you in a, production brewery compared i mean i guess you can hurt yourself in your kitchen too but um there's a lot more uh yeah there's a lot more utilities and um tools that you have to manage um as far as making lots of beer um i don't know it's uh i guess i had a pretty big gap in in between I mean, at least a couple of years before when I was making it home and, and working at Live Oak. But I mean, I was the first couple of years at Live Oak, I was just washing kegs. So I kind of eased into the, the beer handling part of it, too. Um, over there, I started was washing kegs pretty much exclusively for just like, you know, almost two years, probably. And then started filtering and doing cellar work and running the cellar for a couple of years and then started brewing and handling yeast doing that for a couple of years. And then Steve went to go start big bend out in Alpine and started, uh, taking over on the hot side, I guess all, all the production stuff, all the scheduling, and then just kind of, yeah, been doing that. And then we built a new brewery and that was a whole, that was a whole deal. Um, and, but I've still basically been doing the same, same thing since Steve left. Um, well, before we uh, get into some of the beers that you sent us that everyone is drinking, um, there is a question that Rob wanted me to ask you before, uh, as, as people know, Rob is not on the show today. Um, but back on episode 254, we actually had your guys' uh, Black is Beautiful uh, mm-hmm. on the episode of Better on Draft. What was the charity that you guys raised money for for that Black is Beautiful? Um, and what kind of variation did you put on that beer? Um, we've done it, we've done it two years in a row and we'll do it again. We'll basically be doing it once a year. Uh, both, both years went to the Austin justice coalition here in Austin and the variation, uh, of the beer we were, uh, yeah, just, we don't make a lot of English beers or big beers. Um, and it was, we were brewing it in the summertime. So it was, trying to um, make it kind of in our wheelhouse so we know we could make it and make it good. So we kind of, we made a, um, we kept the hops the same, the all cascade and uh, lowered it, lowered the gravity a little bit and made it a lager, which I ran by Marcus just to make sure that was cool before we, before we did that. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's kind of like a American hopped, Schwartz beer, Fest beer, uh, hybrid, hybrid kind of beer. And what, so, what yeah, was the, we, the reason for choosing that, uh, charity, the Austin, uh, what was it again? Austin justice coalition. Okay. Um, there, we wanted some, somebody that was doing, um, doing stuff in town to start. And, uh, we've just kind of, we've just kept, giving to to them and we'll probably do the same again this year. I think it's a little over two grand, two and a half thousand dollars off of each batch. Awesome. So we're we're around we're around five and, and counting now. 
we'll probably we'll probably brew it a little bit later in this year and have it come out in the fall because a dark beer in uh, in August and July in Texas is a little uh, I don't know. Well, I'm going to pass it to Dan because Dan is one of those people who believes stout season is all year long. <laughs> it is. There's no if, implying there's a stout season means there's an IPA off season, but you see everyone drinking 576 IPAs in the summer. But yeah, so I want to talk to you about these smoke beers. So can you tell us a little bit about these? These are a pretty unique beer compared to what most breweries do. Can you go into a little bit about the detail and the history of how you came up with these? Uh, yeah. So I think Chip had been, Chip has been to, uh, he went to Germany uh, back in the eighties and went through Bomberg and smoke beer popped up on his radar. And then more recently when live Oak was around, I think in like 2007, we had a hard time getting malt and hops. Uh, Chip started going over to the uh, brow annual trade show in Nuremberg. And we would, and he started to stay a little north of Nuremberg and Bomberg and take the train in for the trade show and back. So you'd get to, you know, wind up in Bomberg every day after the trade show. So like a solid week in Bomberg drinking Schlinkerla and Spezial smoke beers every day. You kind of like, I don't know, you, you, you get kind of uh, accustomed to it. And, and, you know, it's just not a style of beer that you, come across that often especially it being like i mean there's beers with smoke on them but they're not like the lager the clean well-made fresh lager beer is not quite as as common and so we started making uh started making smoke beer i think like 2000 2012 i think nico tonks was brewing at live oak at the time and we went down to Ranger Creek and took some of our Munich and Vienna malt and used their like shipping container smoke box, uh, kind of a kind of a proof of concept sort of thing. We made a, a, a the, our smoke fest with that malt and and then we were able to get the Beechwood and and best uh, the best Beechwood smoke malt. And, uh, I think we started making, we made a Lichtenheiner and then we made the smoked Hellas. And then since we've been at the new brewery, we're making like 20 barrels of beers for the tap room and with the outlet of selling beer to go and having a tap room, uh, we're able to do, you know, move a, a couple 20 barrel batches of smoked beer in like a couple months. And so stays fresh and we sell all of it. We were making uh, 30 barrels of some of these smoke beers at the old brewery. And we didn't always sell all of them, um, but we kept, kept making them. And uh, I think it's maybe slightly gaining traction now, maybe. Um, but we just kind of keep like chip always says, we will keep making them until people start drinking them. So people start drinking uh, them, or do you yeah. mean until they stop drinking them? No, until they start. Until they start. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, what, so, what was the reception like for these? Were people put off of it at first because it's not something you typically find anywhere? Or how did your customers react to them? Um, it's not for everybody. And some people just really don't like it. And um, some people do. I think at like at beer festivals, you have somebody who's kind of there to try a bunch of beers and they're already kind of like have a, a more open mind. And so they're, they're more well received in like uh, environments like that. But I think since we've been doing it every year, I think the people that come in and have a smoke beer, they kind of know, they kind of know that's kind of our, you know, one of the things that we're driving home. So uh, they're more interested in it than they have ever been now, but it still feels like a very, it's like a slow curve, but we're able to, you know, 
do, we don't do every single smoke beer that we, that we do every year. We'll add an, uh, bring back a couple of the classics and maybe do uh, one or one or two new ones. But it, we always have try to cluster them together in January because we have our Rauk Fest and, you know, trying to showcase smoke beer and make a, a big deal out of it. And uh, it's, yeah, people are drinking more of it every year. Not It's not a lot, but it's more than it, it used to be for sure. Awesome. Now, another style of beer that you make I want to talk about, I wish I had one in front of me here, is your pre-war pills. Can you tell us a little bit about that and tell everyone the reasoning behind that name and what makes it different between like a pills from today? Yeah, the um, we've been looking forward to making uh, an American, early American style beer, um, I guess kind of since we started making the German pills because we'd always made the Czech pill since 1997. And then we started making a German pills and then, you know, I think a pills with uh, a little lower bitterness and a corn uh, adjunct was pretty tempting. We got some uh, brewers grits from Missouri. And then in 19, I think we started putting pre-war in cans. It was our summer, summer seasonal still has a seasonal UPC, but we just started making it all the time because it was doing really well. Um, and it's a, we got a, a recipe from uh, a brewer or descendant of a, a brewer, uh, a lady named Paula in, in DC area, whose grandfather brewed for like seven breweries for, in like the early, I forget when, it, when his career it was like right around the earth, like the beginning of the 1900s. And, uh, it was like the recipe is like from 1911, 1912. And, but it's a, a rough recipe. It was just kind of like a ratio of, uh, grits to barley and what the hops were. And so we kind of, you know, work with that. And I mean, it's a pretty simple beer. It's just the pills, bar- barley, corn, and middle fruit and not too bitter. Um, and the pre-pro is the name that you always see around in, um, in Texas, uh, the, the state law, one of the things that you couldn't name a beer until kind of recently was pre-war because it referenced, uh, a certain, it like let it, it used to be something where you would see it on a label and it would like reference the strength of the beer. So it was like a misleading labeling term to make people think that it was like higher gravity. And so you couldn't use like pre-war strength. Like you were, that was not allowed to be used, but they, they, they changed the rules and rewrote some of the, uh, what you couldn't could label. And so pre-war was okay. So that's why we picked that because it was, recently illegal and it but it means like the same the same thing and we were focusing on the war because i mean prohibition was uh pretty lousy but compared to the war it was not you know not that big of a deal so the the war was a bigger deal to people at the time so we're referencing that that period of time uh with that kind of that marker awesome now i did notice that you use um you do use a decoction mass um, mash, excuse me, for this type of beer. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? A lot of people are not familiar with that style of mash when it comes to making beer. Yeah, uh, decoction mashing is—it's um, kind of an old school method for uh, you can you can use it for um, compensating for lack of instruments because you have your malt ratios and you're blending to temperature and uh, but you essentially you're boiling part of the mash and then adding it back to the main mash and stepping through the temperatures for the enzyme action and as opposed to just like using a steam jacket to to heat up the mash and when you boil the mash you get a little bit of maillard reaction and uh, a little a little more flavor and a little more color it's pretty subtle difference it's not extreme but um we do a, a single decoction on 
on all the beers that we do a decoction on, except for the, the check pills gets uh, two decoctions. So we'll boil the mash twice on that one. Um, awesome. Um, Wendy, I'm going to pass it to you. I believe you have a question. Uh, yeah, actually, I want to talk about this Hefeweizen. So I see on the website that you um, won an award from the GABF in 2019 for the Hef. Mm-hmm. And it's current, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's currently rated or if it was, I'm not sure how that works, um, is number two in the world, according to Beer Advocate. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about it a little bit? Uh, the half is our biggest seller by volume. Um, and I think the reason why it's so good is because we make it all the time and it is a beer that ben- benefits uh, the most from being fresh. Um, we started making it as like a seasonal and it wasn't very popular. And then, uh, and then one year we made it and it, people started, you know, we sold it pretty quick and then made more next year and it quickly took over, uh, these, this was like mid two thousands, I guess ish. Um, and then by, let's see, probably around the time when I started a little bit, maybe a little bit after Hefeweizen got to like over 60% of the volume, the total volume barrel. So, and it's been climbing a little bit more, not quite to 70, but it's our biggest volume seller. Um, it's half wheat, half barley and the uh, Vine Stefaner uh, Hefeweizen yeast. It's a German, traditional German style Hefeweizen that tastes uh, exactly like a German Hefeweizen when you go over there and drink one. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Hef is my favorite style of beer. So I was really excited to see that. Um, it's also what I use to kind of test whether or not I really like the beer that's coming out of a brewery. So <laughs> um, well done. And thanks. Tastes all right. Um, my question is, my next question, though, is about the brewery itself, because I'm a big traveler. Um, mm-hmm. I like to go and visit different breweries in different states and just um, I think it gives you a really good feel for where you're at and the place you're at. So what is it about your brewery that would make um, a tra- beer traveler want to come visit? Um, well, we're set up for uh people to post up and spend a lot of time at live Oak. And, um, we have probably like 40 or 50 beer tables out in the beer gardens. Um, the brewery sits on 22 acres, uh, right across the street from the airport. Um, just on the North side and we're, uh, up along the Colorado river and we've got, um, we always have our year round beers pouring at the tap room, obviously. And then we also have uh, a bunch of limited beers that we just sell in the tap room. Um, some of the smoke beers make it out into the world. Uh, but most of the tap room, uh, releases are probably last for a couple months and, uh, yeah, just get them there. And we have, 13 hole disc golf course, um, which is not a gimme course. It's pretty fun. Um, and there's lots of live oaks on the property. It's a sweet slice of land that even if you don't play disc golf, it's nice to, uh, just take a walk in the back. Um, we have, a we have food on the weekends, uh, from, a uh, black forest food truck that's kind of german ish kind of food uh that's really good so if you're here on the weekends you can eat that as well um yeah what what was the reasoning behind 13 holes because that's not even any standard disc golf length usually you know it's 9 18 or 24 uh, you can have a sanctioned P 
PGDA tournament if you have 13 holes. Really? Do you have sanctioned PD, PDGA? Yes, I said that. Uh, tournaments. Get, get the acronym right, Ken. I know. I, had... I have a PDGA number, too, but I was trying to say it so fast in my head. I'm like, it doesn't sound right. We've had two. Uh, we have another one in July. And, um, yeah, we've had the 13-hole setup for since the beginning of 2020. Um, last October, we hosted a bunch of mini tournaments every day for the week of the National Amateur Disc Golf Championship that was in Austin. It'll be again in Austin in, uh, in October this year. And, yeah, we had, like, all the, the players party for the whole tournament at the brewery on Saturday night. There was, like, 2,000 disc golfers all drinking beer at Live Oak and looking at discs. And, um, yeah, it was it was pretty wild. So we'll have that again in the fall, but, uh, we have a lot of disc golf courses right by us too. There's uh Roy G and met center, uh, just like right a caddy corner across the street from the airport. Um, and then, and we're also like a five minute ride from the terminal, just like across the street. You don't have to even get on the highway. So it's really good to post up and pick somebody up from a flight there or just, Uber to the brewery and figure out what you're going to do from there. Um, and we're open every day. Sorry, Wendy, I had to cut in and ask about that. That's okay. I always wonder what it is about disc golf and breweries. Cause I know quite a few uh, breweries that have teams or something to do with disc golf. So, um, so for a brewery, uh, sorry, I can't talk today. For a brewery that's been open for 25 years, we noticed you don't have too many beers on untapped, um, roughly 70. For a customer who's always looking for something new and exciting, how do you bring them back? Um, bring them back. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, the only thing that we're really doing new regularly is in the tap room. But um, I think... I think most of our repeat customers are just coming back because we make a couple things consistently. I don't, I don't know. We ha- we've been making, you know, pills and Hefe since we were like the, I mean, we were the only production brewery in Austin for a little while. Um, there was a brew pub, but, um, and I mean, I guess there's a lot of new drinkers that ha- haven't really been in, in town for, for as long as live has been around too, but um, I don't know. I think they just come back and know where to get some Hefe and pills when they want it. Um, and even, even most of the limited beers that are new, they're all kind of, I mean, there's a lot of subtle differences with these, those two, because a lot of them are Pilsners that have, uh, you know, I mean, they're all Pilsners, but they're subtly different. So I don't know. Okay. Well, I think that uh, a lot of loyalty comes from consistency too. Um, I had a friend at one time that when you would ask him how his beer was, he would say it's consistently delicious, which is really what a loyal customer is looking for is they can go and get what they want and they know it's going to be the same when they go. Um, Nick, did you have something? I think that's all we have going for us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's more. Yeah, I got a question or two. Uh, piggybacking really quickly on the disc golf course because that Ken and I were we disc golf on occasion. Um, the the back of the course being up against the Colorado River and there's a big ledge there. Yeah. Has anyone lost any discs discs off of that crazy ledge into the river? Do you, oh, you know I'm, of? oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I, well, yeah, I yeah, I've I don't know about all the way down into the river but it's yeah it's so steep once they're once you can't see them they're dangerous i mean i've lost several uh free tails on one of the holes and i stopped throwing that disc on that hole so i don't lose any more but uh yeah it's kind of it's a little it's quite a hazard well if, if, if to anyone that's um listening and or watching on 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 our socials uh i encourage you 
go to Live Oak's website, find the disc golf course map, and you will see where the Colorado River is. Uh, it's impending doom. Basically, they're warning you. There's a ledge there. Be careful. So, <laughs> so, so uh, check that out if you're on the socials or, or watching live right now. Uh, now let's get back to the, the fun topic. The, the other fun topic, the beer. Um, uh, have you done any kind of? I'm, I'm a big fan of collaborations with with other breweries or even. Um, we got some social groups here in southeastern Michigan. Wendy is part of some uh, girls. Uh, girls pint out. Uh, I know we've on the show of brood as well. Um, have you guys done any uh, big collaborations? Uh, being around around in the last twenty five years, I would imagine you guys have done your fair share of collaborations. And if so, with whom? Um, we've done. Uh, I think we're we're a little. Uh, newer and a little less uh, prolific with the collaborations, but we do them. We've been, I guess, dialing it up since uh, the end of 2019 when our state laws changed and we could sell beer to go. Then we could do small variants and have an outlet for them because through the main distribution channel is uh, difficult, takes a lot of admin time and yada yada uh, and for such a small volume um let's see the last so the last couple of years we've done a good bit i think one of our one of the coolest ones that we've done um after i think 20 in 2018 early 2018 we got in uh in touch with the brovar grodzitsk breweries the original uh grodzitsky breweries and uh uh, in Grodzitsk, just south, like 40 minutes south of Poznan, Poland. Uh, they got their hands on a can of beer. Or sorry, no, a Polish beer writer got his hands on a can of beer, and they saw him review it, and they reached out to us. And they had brought the brewery back into operation in 2016. I think it closed in 91. Um, and so we went over there in 2018 and brewed a, a Grodzitsk variation in uh at at the Grodes brewery which was super cool and we went down to uh south of the brewery to the maltster that is making the smoked wheat malt for the brewery that's the only thing that they didn't bring back from uh ruin was the malt house um and so we got to see them where they make the smoked wheat malt which is what we buy their extra couple pallets at at every batch that they make uh like twice a year and so that's enough for us to make uh all the time so we're making it with uh um the traditional uh smoked wheat malt made the by the with the traditional recipe um and uh let's see we did a we did a cool collaboration with uh riggs brewery last that's not last year 2021 yeah 2021 um where we bought some of their six row that they grew on their farm and brewery and uh made a a pre-war style beer with uh, their six row which is the original malt we don't use that in our pre-war we use our check base malt um we tried it with the six row but it's i don't know it's very similar maybe not quite as good and more expensive to buy six row um, than your base malt, which is kind of defeats the purpose. But um, so we got their six row and made that beer called six row pills. We made a, a pills with it and um, they came down. Uh, our, I think our first, first brewery visitors in, in a while uh, at the beginning of 21. So that was really cool. Um, and we've been, we've been stacking them up around town too. Um we just brewed a pr- potato lager with uh, holdout brewing, uh, which was fun. Uh, we were learning about the all the adjuncts that were used over over the the tough. But there were a lot of like you know just out of necessity wartime. Like they need the wheat and barley to make food, so you got a supplement. So a lot of you know 
learning that that I was like North North Germany was making some adjunct beers with rice and potatoes. So uh, yeah, we made Spudweiser, which was fun. <laughs> oh brother, I, that 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 name. Where, where's Matt Bush when you need him, Ken? With a with a name like that, since he's the the name naming master. Um, yeah, I think I think he would have given a round of applause on that one. Yeah, he would have. He would have. Um, you touched base on distribution you guys have been canning now for about uh about six years now and uh texas is out of all the 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 main out of the contingent 48 states in the country the largest how where are are they able to find you guys all across the entire state of texas and how is the distribution uh business in Texas is given the size of, of the state. Uh, beer distribution in Texas is big business. Um, so we do our own distribution in Austin and surrounding areas like up to Waco and even San Antonio ourselves, which is uh, a lot of work. Distribution is our biggest department. Uh, and we've done that for since we started. Um, we have two distributors in Houston and, uh, and in College Station Temple, um, which is uh, small. It's, it's probably, we probably do like 80% of our volume ourselves, roughly. Um, but we don't have beer in Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, we did, we were, we were uh, distributing there ourselves. It's a lot of work. It was, I think that's it's not illegal now, but it was illegal for us to have a separate warehouse to supply Dallas and Fort Worth that wasn't our production facility. So there was a lot of there's a lot of um, they don't make it the laws don't make it easy. Um, we have a large enough cap, fortunately, uh, to be able to just distribute ourselves. So we still have. Uh, many thousands of barrels to grow into that we could do ourselves. Um, but the state changed the law for us to sell our territory, uh, which was legal. And um, I mean, we did it with our Houston distributors, but um, that's illegal now. So we'd have to give it to them and, uh, but they could sell it to each other they wanted to so it's kind of it kind of sucks for uh distribution deals and in texas it's um we sued the state and we lost so um that uh yeah that was like a that was like a five-year deal and uh it went all the way to the texas supreme court and they decided not to uh hear the case so oh wow uh, any, uh, I'll, I'll ask, ask this one last question. I'm going to turn it over to Ken as, as part of that, uh, Texas Supreme court, basically not listening. Is that basically the end of it? Or is there, you know, any opportunity to take it any beyond that? Or is it not worth, is the juice not worth the squeeze at that point? Um, that is above my pay grade. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair. I, I, you know what? I actually use that same excuse at my job. I'm an engineering supervisor <laughs> for a utility company, and I use that excuse many, many times. So I, I can, I can emphasize, empathize with with that response. I, I like that response. That's a good one. That's a good one. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see if anything happens, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't know who would who would pick it up and, and run mm-hmm. with it after that. So sure. Um, yep. We'll see. Unders- there, understandable. There, there is a, you know, the next, the legislation sessions uh, starting uh, next, next, wait, this year, next year, next year. Every yeah. state's different. That's all I know. <laughs> when it comes to their, re- when, when it comes <laughs> to their legislature, I know that much. So. I don't remember. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, turn it over back to Ken. Go ahead. Yeah. So 2022, this is your guys' 25th anniversary, um, 25 years in craft brewing, especially, 
creating a brewery during a huge brewing slump in the United States. Um, you know, the late nineties, not necessarily known for, you know, a brewery boom. Um, what are you guys doing to celebrate this year for your 25th anniversary? Um, well, we've, we, we kind of, uh, we've been, we've been cranking them out, but we're clustering them together. We've got a bunch of pilsners that are all be available. We're going to have a, a outdoor pills bar. That's all pills, all different pills. Uh, we'll have six, maybe seven. Um, and then, uh, a bunch of food trucks, live music, and just, uh, um, yeah, just a lot of beer drinking on the 23rd of April. Um, yeah, 25 years is a big deal. Um, I think we'll do some of the standard like uh, Stein hoisting, you know, brewery shenanigans and stuff. Um, probably some polka music. Um, and a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of beer drinking. I asked this to our guests uh, last week, and I want to bring it up to you uh, just because you're you're celebrating. Usually what comes with beer like Stein hoisting is games. What is like what is the game that you think you could beat probably the rest of your coworkers in that's a, uh, a beer related game. So whether it's, you know, a Oktoberfest style game or something that you usually drink while you're playing like cornhole or uh beer pong, what's, what's, what are you going to kick my ass in, in this beer game? Uh, disc golf, disc golf. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I mean, challenge accepted. Yeah, no, not at all. I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I, I tell you what, I am terrible at disc golf. As much as I have a PDGA number and I've played in tournaments, I am not good. I use it as an excuse to smoke a cigar. Um, because smoke a I, cigar and drink a tall boy. That's what you're. I can't. That's not I what can't. most of those people are smoking, though, Ken. I know, but for me, like <laughs> a, a, a round of disc golf takes about two hours for a good 18 hole course or a 24 hole course, like a full um, full length course. So you know that's about the length of a cigar, two hours. So it kind of goes hand in hand for me, uh, which is why I play disc golf because I'm outside, so I'm not really annoying anyone with cigar smoke. Um, and it's just that's for me. No, you would kick my ass. Um, I'm throwing the same five discs that I've been throwing since 2004, and I'm still. Um, I, I would always say am four, uh, not even am three. I'm still am four. Uh, that bad. Um, so you guys are doing your 25th anniversary. Now you, you mentioned the, the beer that you brewed in Poland, um, which is kind of like a very, very low ABV type beer, um, almost like a table beer. Uh, why do you think we don't see necessarily too many low, very low, I should say sessionable beers here in the United States. Um, whereas the complete opposite, like Dan's talking about drinking 18% in 108 degree weather. Um, why do you think we don't see that really low sessionable ABV beer? Um, it's gotta be like, I don't know if you're, you know, for people that are maybe drinking like macro beer, but then they're also drinking some craft beer that they want to like, I don't know, maybe get their money's worth and get something with some higher alcohol or, or something maybe is like the only thing I can think of, but I don't know. I love, I love low gravity beers. I drink probably the most Grodzitski by volume than any of our beers. Pills is very close. Um, what but, about your guests? I don't know. Especially... Do, you, do your guests see that and be, do they get scared away by the low ABV? Cause they want, you know, if they're going to spend um, the money on a beer, they want a little kick to it. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, for that with the grids, the smoke is probably the deterrent there, but um, we make like a, uh, like a 3% non-smoked uh Grodes, basically non-smoky Grodes, uh, really herbally, pretty bitter, all wheat, 3% beer, Kleinest beer in the, in the summertime. And our, we have a, I mean, we kind of, the ABV, the average ABV on the tap wall board as the temperature starts climbing is definitely dropping. I think there was, we were, I think, averaging like right around 4 percent for of all the beers we had several that were under and uh and then i mean i think hefeweizen is the booziest beer that we have on in the summertime normally so um 
I don't know. We stay pretty low and people, yeah, people move through the, the low gravity beers when we have them on tap. We try not to have too many at once. Um, but, uh, so we spread them out, but yeah, it's nice to have a, an option. I mean, uh, and it seems like, you know, m- more and more there's low, I mean, like Lone Star made 24 uh, seven a couple years ago and that's a 2.9% Lone Star beer that you can get any, any, anywhere, any bar that carries it. So it's like, there's, there's low gravity beers out there and then more non-alcoholic beers, more non-alcoholic craft beers with lots of hops in there that taste good. Um, yeah, if this is your first know. time listening to the show, because Live Oak brought you in and you wanted to hear about, um, you know, from Dusan here, uh, go check out a lot of our older episodes just because I have been drinking NA beers since September. Um, and I've probably had nearly every single one that you can at least get in the state of Michigan um, that isn't an IPA, I should say. Um, I, I have one more question before we kind of finish the show and get um, into our final questions for everyone. So this is my goal to prepare everyone to ask their final question of you uh, before we let you go. Uh, but we were doing a little research on you and I wanted to know, uh, who is Mr. Zygote? <laughs> um. Mr. Z- it's like my uh, illustration uh, website. I was doing illustration and design and stuff before I started working at Live Oak and continue to do it for a lot of our taproom beers and stuff. Um, that was a name that came out from um, just like an earlier version of like the, you know, like the Mr. Universe, uh, you know, uh, competition, but like for, for Zygotes. So it's like the first like the first competition that you can do as a, as a zygote life form. So it was the, the, the reigning champion of that competition. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as we end the show, uh, everyone's going to ask you a final question before we let you go. Uh, we're going to start with Dan. Dan, what's your final question? All right. Ken actually passed this question over to me. Since you do a lot of lagers, do you ever do an alt beer and would you ever make a smoked alt beer if you could? Uh, we did that for, um, our, uh, uh, one of our ex employees, Mr. Zach Hill was for years, uh, wanted this beer to get made. We made a shtick of all when he left at the end of mid 2020, end of 2020. Um, so we did make one and, uh, yeah, it turned out pretty good. We got some, some ale yeast, uh, some Kolsch yeast from the St. Elmo team to make that one happen. And yeah, it turned out pretty good. But that was awesome. our first one, our first alt beer. And that was, yeah, after 23 years. So we finally did one. <laughs> <laughs> My goal is to get every brewery in the state of Michigan to brew an alt beer. Uh, Nick, what's your final question? Um, what beer is in your fridge that is not a live oak brewing beer that you will be drinking this weekend? I think I, I think I stumped somebody guys. (laughs) Um, well, I, my friend Nico sent me some of his, uh, believe it or not, I've got an IPA that I'm going to, uh, drink big doinks. It's an all Columbus IPA that uh i love and i have one of those that i'm gonna be drinking um i drink a fair amount of guinness believe it or not oh there we go um also kind of falls into the low gravity cat oh how is that that the for, 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 the, for those that, that are not able to watch and they're just listening ken just held up a guinness uh zero up yeah, on the screen. it's really good. Um, <laughs> it goes down it, for me. Like when everyone talks about how thick a Guinness is, this goes down like <laughs> a regular, like a person drinking Guinness. It's so good, <laughs> so smooth, so silky. Um, it's even got like uh, whenever you crack open a, a Guinness can and you know that first rush of uh, beer pops up and um, head and you're like, oh my god, it's gonna overflow. That's definitely the same experience you get here. Um, but yeah, is it nitro? Uh, yeah, it's nitro. Oh damn! Oh. You'll nitro na. 
I I love it. I'm excited for it. Um, I'm glad I found uh, another four pack um, at the store that I went to uh, a couple days ago. But uh, Wendy, what's your uh, your question? Uh, what is the next beer that you are really excited to make? Um, let's see. Uh, we're going to be making a rice ad- adjunct beer, which we haven't done yet. Um, kind of similar to corn, but, um, yeah, it'll be a, right. We've got some rice grits, um, that we'll be making a beer for very light, super light, super dry pills for the doldrums of the summer that we'll be brewing here in about a month or so. So I'm looking forward to cooking some rice and seeing what that's like. Um, Yeah, that's that's all right. So my final question, now that I know you're uh, you're a disc golfer, I did see that you guys do a lot of collaboration with Mint, who hosts a putting league over there. Um, Do you throw any other companies, any disc craft in your bag or Latitude or? I used to. Um, I used to throw a lot of Innova um, and Westside discs. Okay. Um, But I've been. Yeah, the Mint guys came out with a couple new discs over the last uh, 12, 16 months, and there's like maybe one more empty slot for uh, understable mid-range, but uh, yeah, my bag is full of Mint. Um, so yeah, I'm a... I, I throw... My my main driver is a Z-Tracker from Discraft, and then my, my mid-range, I don't know what it is, but I love it. Uh, I have this DX shark that I've been throwing for a good 15 years and this thing flies straight 200 feet easy. Love it. Um, I actually lost it in Dallas. Um, kind of like what you guys have, not, maybe not a big cliff like the Colorado river, but a cliff nonetheless to where that disc went over, went into the water and I get a call and I was going to be in Dallas like a month later. The guy, um, saved it. I gave him like a $25 buzz for this beat up piece of trash <laughs> DX shark. Cause it's, it's what it's that, that one disc that you just could never, you never want to lose. So, um, I, I, he, he ran a putting league too. So I'm like, you know what? A buzz isn't a bad, you know, free disc for someone just to throw, um, for an indoor putting league, but for sure. Uh, one of the best discs ever. Oh yeah. That's a great, I, I wish I would have kept it, but you know, I gotta, gotta stick by, but that's going to do it for, uh, episode 253 better on draft podcast live Oak. Uh, they could find you online, um, on Instagram. I believe your Instagram is, uh, I have it right on the video live Oak brewing. Um, they can find you on your website. Go play disc golf. You're open seven days a week, I believe. Correct. Yep. Awesome. 12 the varying closing times. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Have fun. If you're in the Austin area, April 25th, I believe you said, um, go check Third. it out. 23rd, 25th anniversary, 23rd. Go check them out. And no matter what you think of your beer, we think it's better on draft. Have a good night. Thanks, guys.